0: Tea and the stages are all dark. We can't be asked to make sourdough, and they've locked our local park. We're a pair of nosy parkers with not much to do. So we've called up some of our performer, performer friends and recorded them on Zoom. Curtain Twitchers. We're curtain Twitchers.
1: Hello and welcome to the final episode of Curtain Twitchers, Oh, for now. Don't worry, we have got some more lined up, it's okay.
0: Thank you to the people who sent us messages and told us they're listening, we feel you here with us in our weird temporary studio made of sofa cushions.
1: Um, We are George and Liv, the phenomenally average and hugely underwhelming real-life personas of musical aliens Bourgeois and Maurice. We are pretty boring, actually. Yeah, very boring. Yeah. It's quite
0: spectacular.
1: It is really. How are you doing, by the way, George? i meant to say. Um, Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, I no, I appreciate you asking. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm still quite dull. Yes. Um, but um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad to, to be alive.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes that's all you can hope for. Definitely, isn't it? haven't yeah. you? I'm okay. Yeah, just plodding on, you know. Same old, same old. Um, What's coming up today, or this episode?
0: Well, in this episode, we jump on the wireless with the performance art royalty, Sir Dame David Hoyle.
1: Oh, wow. Um, David rose to prominence in the 90s as his alter ego, the Divine David, on Late Night Channel 4, before killing the character off at the height of his popularity with the spectacular Divine David on Ice at Streatham Ice Rink. He's also appeared in Nathan Barley, Velvet Goldmine, and the award-winning film Uncle David.
0: David's known for his genre smashing patriarchy thrashing establishment bashing, mind-alteringly brilliant performances at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern and Bethnal Green Working Men's Club in London. We've also worked with David on a number of occasions and in 2015 we collaborated on a show called Middle of the Road in which we attempted to become as inoffensive and mainstream as possible.
1: Indeed um, and well as his stage shows David is also a brilliant painter and visual artist and this often features in his live work. During lockdown he's been creating new collage paintings which he's been sharing on Instagram and uh, we joined David. David for a virtual glass of wine in his flat in Manchester.
0: Again, a reminder, we did this on the cheap over the web, so if it's BBC Sound Quality you're after, best look elsewhere.
1: Right, let's get on with it.
0: Twitchers. With twitchers. Can I just
2: get myself a cigarette? Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. I should have got my little bits, you know, my essentials, I like my treats. Yeah. Anyway, it's all happening into at the moment. The world going
0: up, you know. It really is happening, isn't it? Yeah. How are things in Manchester?
2: Well, I don't go out much, but um, I mean, I think that when Dominic Cummings did his business in the northeast of England, lockdown finished then. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think I've become one of those people that's become a bit sort of agrophobic. You know, I, to me, the outside world is a place of terror.
1: <laughs> I know what you mean. That it's definitely like I have, be, I have been out and I have gone mm. outside, but I definitely feel significantly more wary of like yeah, everything. I do all
0: people. the time now. I really
2: do. I've got a heightened sense
0: of fear.
1: Mm.
0: What? Do, how does it feel to think about being back on on a stage? Does that feel not like something you'd want to do?
2: Well, I'm going to have to, aren't I? I mean, it's almost like you've forgotten what to do. You're frightened that you might have forgotten what to do. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I I, I I do want to go back onto the stage before I die. So I'm looking at it that way.
1: Do you um do you miss being on stage at the moment?
2: Well, I've forgotten most about it, really. But, um, yeah, I think so. I, I think I've forgotten the whole way of life, you know, the whole packing bags, moving, doing it all. You know, it's all come to an end. Um, and that activity was good for me because it meant you're on the go, aren't you? you? don't have to think about some things. Whereas I think this has enforced a lot of us to think about things, you know, that you can't run away from.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because it's not just the actual performing that yes. is one misses at this time. It's the whole... Yeah. George and I made a video a couple of weeks ago, just for like uh, for something, and putting the makeup on and just sitting next to George and just chatting was like,
3: oh my god, I miss
1: it. Mm. <laughs> like we weren't even going to get on a stage and do anything; we were just like put the makeup on and just that slight feeling of having that little bit of all escape. you know, getting yeah, escape. Escape. Yeah.
3: Mm.
2: I mean I hate reality. I'm a hopeless at it. You know that's why I end up in such a mess with bills and things. I I can't do daily life. I I, I probably could do with somebody to look after me you know I'm helping for a lottery win I mean I'm living in a dream world
1: <laughs> do you think like the performing is is that sort of like do you think the audience is that person that like that kind of collective help that you normally that you
2: well yeah have? I think it's an ongoing conversation uh and I think both of us both parties are sort of going in a positive direction so even if there was no conclusion to the conversation, it's important that it goes on, that it's ongoing. Mm. Um, so I do miss that very much, you know, and I, and I don't present myself as the oracle, I don't think. You know, I think if we, arrive, if, we if there's any enlightenment happens, then that comes as a direct result of uh, communal action, commun- you know, as all coming together.
0: Mm. In the absence of being able to kind of have, you know, a, a sort of, a conversation with an audience, a live yeah. audience, have you, have you felt the desire to do anything online? You know, yeah. like people are doing sort of Zoom. No. Um,
2: see, the thing about me is I think I lack that sort of push, 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 me, me, me thing, you know. So in a way, I feel like I'm sort of some sort of mannequin that was on the stage and has just been unceremoniously dumped into the wings. And we'll lie there until such time as the lights flicker back on. Mm. And then, like some sort of marionette, Mm. I'll come alive again, you know. But until then, I'm sort of lying like a broken puppet, waiting, waiting, always waiting.
3: (laughs) I'm
2: a very patient person. I've learned that in life. There was a time when I was waiting for success, but I've given up on that.
1: I think you're successful.
2: Well, you know, at least 30 people know me.
1: Yeah, you're an icon, David.
2: I believe between 28 and 30 people.
1: <laughs> that
2: equals my... Like one might have been carried off last winter because it was quite chill, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> You've been doing a lot of artwork on your Instagram. Yes, I have. I've you loved said that. defensively.
2: But what other outlet do I have, gorgeous bourgeois? I'm like um, a lone chicken in its coop, you know. And I think if you put a little bit of paint in a chicken coop, eventually the chicken works out what to do. (laughs) And uh, we've got a lot of time on our hands at the moment. And, you know, maybe we should be looking towards the chicken community taking over from the art world. Mm. I wish that I worked in arts administration.
1: Do you?
2: I think I do, because... You might get furloughed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: But you might also have to do lots of... But squats. I'd
2: also be frightened of dropping a tagine lid on my toe.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is a, that's a daily... That's an occupational hazard. It is. <laughs> but
1: art administrators...
0: Yeah, every art administrator is required to make a tagine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Very much so, yeah. yeah. And it better be, you know, as authentically Moroccan as possible. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, I've heard of people at venues around the country being laid off because they didn't put dried eggs in.
2: And Um, also, I mean, it's uh, usually, I think traditionally it was a lamb dish. Oh, okay. Now I'm wondering, is there anything plant-based that's a worthy substitute for lamb? (laughs) Apparently it's very disturbing the sounds that the lambs make when they've been separated from the mothers
3: oh i bet it is yeah
2: i read once about a people a a family they went on holiday um somewhere nice you know in the countryside and they stayed at a farm (laughs) farmhouse as luck would have it it was the it was it was the night of the day that they separated the sheep and the lambs didn't get a wink of sleep
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Said it was a particularly disturbing noise that they make. You know. Do you think? That, that with you.
1: Is that the noise that you make being taken away from um, your audience?
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Without, without any hesitation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as a as a pent up, uh, caged performer, there's any opportunity. Mm. You know, I mean, I go in the corner shop. I might have only gone in for a small tin of baked beans, you know. But I find myself launching into a full version of Shirley Bassey doing Hey Jude. <laughs> I just can't help myself.
1: What is it about performing that makes you want to do it? Like you say, it's even the break
2: from being me, isn't it? For a start, I mean, I think like a lot of people who perform, you realise that that's well, it is for me anyway. It becomes the focus, hmm. so that the you that sort of exists between the shows is um, not really where the emphasis, emphasis lies, you know. Mm. I mean, my only, the only thing I have to do is just keep barely alive until I become reanimated again through the use of um, hair augmentation, <laughs> a light dusting of maculage, and maybe a change
0: of frock. So, do you feel most yourself when you're on stage?
2: Uh, I, th- I think I feel more cohesive.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, and I feel more in control. Definitely. Everything I do comes from um, a a general feeling of oppression from the past, you know, where you weren't encouraged to draw attention to yourself or to um, do anything exhibitionistic and certainly don't do anything that could be ascribed as being feminine, you know, because I come from a very traditional, almost Victorian situation.
1: So performance itself was a rebellion for you?
2: yeah oh it's about turning the negative into positive and it's about because the one thing i never thought i'd be able to do would be to get up on the stage and speak and and, I, and that is one the thing that i've done i've forced myself to do it and it took a lot of booze and a lot of drugs but i did it
0: can you remember the first performance you did uh possibly
2: uh i think the first one that i did sort of thinking oh i'd like to do this as a way of life, you know, naively at the time. Uh, There'd be early shows in Blackpool, probably when I was working at British Home Stores, and um, I might do um, an impromptu show in the lunch hour, or I might go on my own in the evening to the Blackpool Tower Lounge, which was a magnificent space, so beautiful. And um, they had quite a sizeable band, you know, at least eight members, and they would allow me to sing with them. And so that was pretty amazing. Mm. Wow. So there were lots of opportunities that you could because there was a lot of places in Blackpool obviously for the holidaymakers to get up and you know, they usually did Danny Boy or Ave Maria or My Way, you know. I was happy to do The Ladies of Tramp, um, Hey Big Spender, <laughs> things like that. Mm. Do, 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 do. You know, and I'd be a bit, flir- I'd be like a flirty teenager. <laughs> and then if I was performing at the Tower Lounge after my performance and I'd start to take my clothes off, towards the end, somebody would come on like a handsome waiter with a ice bucket. And it wasn't champagne. It'd be something like pomade or something, you know, but we'd pretend. And it was glamorous, you know, <laughs> and um, yeah, I loved it.
0: And did you start to, did the Divine David persona come out of that time?
2: No, I was calling myself Paul Munneryvane at that time. <laughs> and of course, you, you've obviously um, recognised that Paul Munneryvane comes from Pulmonary Vane.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, so it was suitably gothic. Um, I mean, I've always been a goth, really, I think, you know.
0: Yeah. I think if
2: if David Bowie hadn't stopped being Ziggy Stardust, he would have ended up like me. You know, glad of a few nights at the RVT, who wouldn't be?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's interesting what you said about when you're on stage, you feel like you're more cohesive and more in control, because I think one of those elements that everyone loves so much about your performance is is the element of... You don't know what's going to happen next. And that oh. sense of kind of anarchy. And so yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny that you, you describe that that moment is actually when you personally feel more... Well,
2: I'm just a conduit of spirit, really, you know. Mm. Uh, and So it just depends what happens. Yeah. Um, and it's about possession, you know, and being possessed. And you see, you can be at the RVT because it's such a, uh, an ancient and antique situation. Yeah. Yeah. Every brick in that building is vibrating and mm. pulsating with life, you know. And everyone has a story.
3: Mm.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting to think about if we are allowed back in venues but with lots of restrictions about how people can be sitting and, and how we the, what the backstage has got to be like and all that kind of stuff, then it will um it, it will really change the way audiences behave. Do you not think and it's also make-
2: kind of fizzled out, though, really, all this lockdown business, people's attitude to it, you know? I think when that Dominic Cummings incident happened, to me, from that point on, it's not really been taken as seriously. I, I think it's sort of petered out a bit, you know? Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I think a lot of us, particularly if you lived alone, we actually did believe that the whole nation was united and um that bubble got burst yeah and, yeah uh, Definitely. i don't think i think it's that that people will remember
0: yeah. yeah
2: it that felt a bit like idea that you've been played for a fool
0: you know yeah it's the moment in the wizard of oz when they pull back the curtain and the wizard is
2: oh. well i mean you know there's not very often that at times i mean it's probably a delusion you know when a nation feels that it is united across the classes and across all the different divides, you know, of our horrifically hierarchical society. So for it to have even a sense of any kind of cohesion uh, was, to me, remarkable and and very sad, the way it got destroyed uh, so callously and thoughtlessly, um, selfishly. Mm. And then how that selfishness was rewarded by over an hour live in the Rose Garden... <laughs> of Downing Street, you know, as a performer, I'm sure the two of you wouldn't you like one, uh, you know, over an hour live on the telly, yeah. Yeah. where you weren't edited, where you were able to say what you really wanted to yeah. say. All the
0: world's media there. You know. Yeah.
2: yeah everybody listening to what you're saying. Mm. Mm. Sat on a, on a DeVore chair, or maybe mm. Velour, I don't know what it was made out of. Sort of some sort of attempt at something velvetesque.
1: Um maybe your like first performance, maybe you could do a performance in a rose garden behind a table. Either that
2: or let's do Glastonbury. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna last forever. And I mean I hardly had any exercise over the last few months, so that's probably put about ten years on me, you know. not under normal circumstances, I'll walk to and from town a couple mm. of times a week. I've not been doing that. So, you been uh, doing like, a bit of home yoga. No, I don't think there's a space. No, you know, and it would stir up too much dust.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking about like before you go on stage, because having been spent lots of time in the dressing room with you before yeah. shows and during. I shows, to
2: tell the tale.
1: <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, it's always interesting like people's like process before they get on stage and what I I always love and it always amazes me about you is you genuinely don't know what you're going to say before you yep. step on stage and you're in the dressing room and you sort of go, oh I wonder what i talk about tonight and you yes. start you start to like throw a few things out in the dressing room yeah. it's like you can see the cogs beginning to turn well I
2: do sound quite it. flippant on the surface but inside obviously you know the adrenaline's kicking yeah. in it's all going on mm. uh, the cogs are whirring and, um, you know, you just hope that that something comes from it, you know.
3: But it
1: does, that's always. The, the
2: pressure of it, you know, and um, putting yourself through it in a way. But I like that concentration mm. uh, and I suppose I miss that. You know, I like things to concentrate on. I, that's why I've enjoyed doing the paintings recently because a lot of them have had words in them and I've obviously been wanting to articulate whatever, you know. Um like was quite entertained by the idea that all of us uh, will be further enslaved and forced to construct the largest pyramid ever constructed to the eternal glory of Dominic Cummings. Yeah. Uh, I think his power is obviously pharaonic. Yeah. Mm. And we should act accordingly.
0: So, so do you do you see the the imminent future is being quite dystopian?
2: Well it, we' live in dystopia, don't we? I mean, it's like they say um, there was some graffiti in Hong Kong. <clears throat> we don't want to go back to normal. Normal is the problem. Mm. I mean, what's always intrigued me about people who identify as men is how some of them um, seem so willing to take employment, to support the status quo, to support the rich person's world, to support and protect the assets of the rich. And yet they present being men as being like the strongest thing you could possibly be, when really they're the witting slaves of the rich. And they seem quite happy to sort of, Defend the rich for like peanuts for not very much money, and uh, you know when you see armed personnel up against the uh, wonderful protesters in America, you think why have why why can you how can you do this how can you not be on the side of the protesters? Mm. You know what what is it that you you're defending because what you are defending is actually indefensible. It doesn't work. Yeah. And it hasn't worked for hundreds of years, you know. That's why people drink and take drugs. And that's why they've done it for hundreds of years. You know, um, some of us need a little bit of uh, an anesthetic. You know, this isn't a world for the sensitive. This is a world for the go getter, for the one who grabs and snatches, bangs on doors, kicks doors in. I've always lacked that. dare I suggest, public school boy, sort of arrogance stroke confidence, where you can walk into a room full of yourself and without any self-doubt, just completely radioactive with self-belief. That's what parents pay for. It's not the education. They pay for that attitude. Yeah. And I lack it.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: I think increasingly in show business circles... I think people assume that you've got this almost rabid hunger for fame and success and money and all this palaver and when you haven't, they don't really know what to do with you because as long as I'm painting or doing or even just doing a doodle in biro on lined paper, it doesn't matter. You know, it is all about expression at the end of the day. And a lot of us, our big life problem has been how to shoehorn our expression, our amorphous expression into the confining and limiting confines of capitalism. So you have to put it into a shape that fits that kind of thing. And I, I think it's quite exciting at the moment because these are the things that will be questioned. Um, I think art will progress. Um, people have been buying art that is, you know, it's quite kitsch really, you know, it's sort of um, a 50-foot version of a kitsch ornament, this sort of thing, and it's investment art. And it, it is mildly amusing, but I think art now dare I suggest, might embrace even a Souchon of meaning. And I've waited a long time. So uh, we could end up at the moment with art, which has meaning. I mean, we all love the decorative arts, of course we do. But we've always got to remember that some of those William Morris wallpapers, they had arsenic in them and people died. Google it.
1: <laughs> um, Liz, when you said like about doing a doodle, even doing a doodle on lined paper, like yeah. my gran was an artist, and she um, she didn't really, yeah. she didn't actually make, they like, wouldn't really make a living out of it, but she was definitely no. an artist, and she used to yeah. say it was like an irritation, like it was an yeah. irritation. She had to scratch it, and there was just nothing she could do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Was, is that
2: absolutely? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I have to have things around me so that I can draw and what have you, all the time, yeah. Yeah. I make notes as well, you know, for phrases that might go in a painting or whatever, you know. Sometimes I do a lot of (coughs) writing in the paintings and then that's the idea of painting as a form of archaeology because I was fascinated by some revelations that were made about the work of Alice Lowry. Um, They x-rayed some of his paintings, particularly of churches, and then they might find a figure, tightly corseted, hanging upside down in the bell tower. Wow.
1: Well, like on a a, a hidden layer?
2: Yes, a hidden character. Wow. Wow. Usually within the bell tower, perhaps, of a church, and it might be a suspended female character in tight corsetry, hanging upside down. I'm gonna leave that with you.
1: We're going to, be, we're oh, going to leave, yeah. leave a little trail of the people listening to yeah. this to like a Google list. And these are all things you need to <laughs> Well, I
2: mean, it's is just fascinating, isn't it? Because that bears in what I'm saying in mind. You know, it's almost as if he knew that eventually this other aspect of his persona and personality would be revealed, you know, because mm. I consider Alice Lowry a, a genius. Mm. We owe him a lot because without him, would we know of the deprivations and dehumanization of the industrial revolution Mm. Mm. all those paintings that he does a a composite you know he composes them he'll take a a murky pond from here and the end of terrace there and then he brings it all together you know almost godlike
1: yeah and that and and that way you get it's like the pain has become an experience, don't they? An experiential rather than a representation of like, this is not what I actually saw, this is what the experience of what
2: Totally. It is is an immersive experience. Mm. And um, his job as a rent collector, of course, he was immersed in in, in everything. And it's because of that job that um, art snobs have a problem with him because well he was a rent collector once he? he wasn't earning a living as an artist you know if he was collecting rent he couldn't possibly be an artist at the same time do you know what I mean yeah yeah, yeah. not realizing that actually is ahead of the game and yeah. he's actually got a job that's informing his practice yeah mm.
1: um if you weren't Performing? Do you, if you were to do another job or to do a job even alongside, is it? Is there another job that you could ever see yourself
2: doing? Well, I originally really wanted to be a dancer. Huh. All right. Yes. Um, but the options really in those days were either football or judo.
3: Hmm.
2: <laughs> I did judo for a while. You know. I think looking back, it's a case of trying to make Captain Mannering out of Shirley Bassey.
0: <laughs> have you um have you had any talks with anyone about doing any performing coming up, like post lockdown? Has, has there been any sort of like rumblings of anything? So well,
2: I'm closely associated with um, Jane Compton. Yeah. Um, you know, we're working on a show. What's that uh, show about? Well, that's like the Ten Commandments. You know, but my idea of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, I mean, it's painful to think about because. It would have debuted by now. It was going to open at home in Manchester, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then in May, it would have been on at the Soho in London. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, June's nearly over.
3: Yeah.
2: And um, those things never happened, you know. Yeah. Plus, I was involved in a production um, with Jen Hayes at the Edgehill University, uh, Hedda Gabler. And we were one week off our first performance, and of course we had to clear off the campus, you know, because they mm-hmm. had to close it down.
1: Does that feel like? Does it feel pain? Like you said, it that it's painful to think about. Is it? Because I yeah. I've, yeah. It is painful, I find it, thinking about things... I've trained like-
2: myself not to go there because if you look too far into the... Fe- until the venue's open and all that palaver and they can decide on how many people are going to be allowed in and how that's going to work, um, you know, and if it's going to be feasible. Mm. Um, I, yeah, it's just the uncertainty of it all, already, you know. I mean, I don't think that I particularly took things for granted in the past you know what I mean but this certainly does make you think
0: yeah it does I think um,
2: and and the, and the interdependence that that we have uh, particularly with the venues is colossal you know and I think some of us are in a better position than others yeah you know I'm hopeless at applying for anything you know any funding or anything like that absolutely hopeless where other people are very good you know and good luck to them mm. you mm. know um i say that's part of my mental health problems that i would you say if you don't really value yourself you know you're not going to sort of be putting in for grants left right and center and i think this is what people forget as i said earlier on that not all artists are sort of motivated by that rocket fuel of sort of me, me, me ness, you know what I mean? When I'm motivated by communicating, um, I'm not that far off 60. You know, it's too late now for me to be thinking in terms of when I get my infinity pool or where am I going to have my second home? You know, I've got to get real. I'd say that one of the scenes, say, from The Ten Commandments would be me on a quayside waving as a ship retreats over the horizon. You're smiling, and then it dawns on you. That ship that I can no longer see, just a tuft of smoke over the horizon, that ship was my life, gone now. That's
3: where I am. <laughs>
2: Extremely
0: beautiful, <books. laughs> yeah. I think it's so surprising, and it's to hear you say that you don't. I understand it completely, but to hear you say that you don't value the kind of self value and and to do your funding because I think people value your work and what you do so much. Like I think that's what makes you so uh, unique. I think of, uh, I
2: can, do with, um, you know, I always have done. I've always needed people that would help me um, fill the forms, um, do the marketing, do the push, push, push.
3: Hmm. You
2: know? uh, a lot of artists just want to communicate and they lack that. As I say, it's um, in essence, it's um, and it's stereotypical of me, and I'm probably being a bit sort of inverted snobbery, um, a public school boy, trade you know that that sort of self-confidence or seeming self-confidence you know because obviously we know that most of life is performance um but some people can be a bit more convincing than others can't they yeah
0: yeah Uh, very
2: often i i can feel like a nervous wreck you know Mm.
0: yeah i mean we uh, we've been doing this for however however long um and we still feel like Well, I still feel a huge amount of of imposter syndrome. Totally, Um, and it and it really and we talk about it a lot because we're like, why we don't we try and push ourselves, and we're lucky because there's two of us, so we can kind of Mm. 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 bounce off each other. But it's it's often interesting and surprising when obviously you look and you compare yourself to everyone else and what other people are doing, and and there is a confidence that some people seem to have, which. Yeah, and
2: it, great, you know, and them, and people like that, you know what I mean, they, they like a bit of cockiness and I'm the mm. best thing since sliced bread and all that. They know where they are with that, you know, that's, that's normal. It's not normal to sort of want to communicate with the world. But that's that me, me, me aspect. Um, you know, it doesn't come naturally to some people. Not not as much, you know. Mm. I mean, I can be interviewed. I can do that.
1: And, and it's funny because at the same time then that sort of, people then almost, I think, sometimes, not all the time, but there's this belief that artists don't need to be paid for their work because that's like in the same way they don't do it yeah. for money. They do it for, but it's like at the same time it's mm. like, I oh know, I do, like I do, you know, I do need to be, Paid for it. It's not. I don't. You know, just get on stage. Absolutely.
3: Because absolutely. I now have look on
2: that off. one because you've really stirred up a hornet's nest. Now, may I just go and get myself a glass of wine?
0: Yeah, you oh, pay, yeah, yeah. do it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Can we have one? I'll bring one for you as well. Thank you. This is the face part of Ooh. um
2: of my new painting. You know. Wow, that's fantastic. And then there's this, that's also going to go in. It's, always nice. <laughs> yeah, it's always
0: nice to have something to look forward to.
2: And then I'm going to stick things on it like this.
1: Kellogg's and fiber.
2: <laughs> and then I'm going to cut out letters and stick them over the top of the composition. And I'm going to do the words, Yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yet, will I fear no evil? And at, right at the bottom, it, it'll say, won't be long now. That's it, you know. Lovely. Have you got
1: your wine? Uh, yeah, there it
2: is. Yes, it's um, a stoles
1: Oh, very nice.
2: You know, I've put it in a tumbler.
1: Yes, well, that's very. Um... I, I
2: avoid stunned glasses around keyboards.
1: That's wise, actually. I had a nice drink the
2: other week, I thought of you two. I had a nice drink the other
3: week.
2: Uh, it was slow gin. Ooh. Secco. Oh, lovely. Ooh. And it that's was absolutely done. delicious. And I thought I must tell and Maurice about that. They'll love
0: that. Was it a slow gin that you had been... Was it a gift? Was it one that you bought especially? Highgrove.
2: Highgrove?
0: Mm-hmm. Highgrove. You, you've been... Um, have you been to Highgrove?
2: Only in my mind. Mm. Only in my mind. Uh, you I'm going to some royal palaces. I went to Buckingham Palace last year. Oh, Buckingham Palace, yeah. Um, I think it was in the September. I'd been meaning to treat myself for many, many years, but again, due to feelings mm. of unworthiness, it had never happened. Mm. But I must have been feeling adventurous one night, and I hit a few buttons on my mobile phone. Next minute, I booked a ticket for Buckingham Palace, you know. <laughs> So I turned up at Buckingham Palace, and I've got to say, it was one of the most mind-blowing experiences of my life. Really? Yeah, really. What was your highlight? Just the whole thing. It was mm. just, it was magnificent, and it was for me, it was magical. I think it was because you see the interior of Buckingham Palace, perhaps during a news report or something like that. Um. And I don't think I ever imagined that you could get into those rooms, you know, where sort of history is taking place and all these sort of people from and tyrants from around the world have been, you know, it's interesting. Mm. And it's a theatrical backdrop to all that, you know, Mm. Um, and it's difficult not to be impressed. You know, you've got to realize I'm from Blackpool. As far as I'm concerned, the eighth wonder of the world is the Blackpool Tower ballroom when that was created people lived in two up two downs and when they went into that space they just couldn't believe it you know it was like going into the tomb of Tutankhamun um so that yeah I feel something similar
1: Blackpool kind of, like, heritage of performance in Blackpool and that whole, it is a destination of, like, entertainment. Do you think that, that oh,
3: influenced...
2: influence? And I, you see, I was a child during its absolute heyday. I mean, we had international artists would go to Blackpool, you know. Mm. I was spoiled, you know, and, um, yeah, it was, it was wonderful, wonderful. Very glamorous, you know. It was such a prosperous town. Mm. Um, and it was such a, an amazing town ta- time, you know, because people had money to spend and to enjoy themselves. You know, it was another world, almost unimaginable now. People and self-consciously being able to spend money in Blackpool and enjoy themselves and know that it was, well, you know, that there'd be more, you know, they'd have jobs that they could return to. Well, then of course there were jobs for life in those days and, uh, now we're living in a a dystopian world of zero-hour contracts, aren't we?
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think even artists have that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> minus <laughs>
2: hours contracts. It. This is it. This is it. You know, I mean, how nice to be able to sort of draw on a trust fund or something, you know, mm. or uh, Granny left me this. I can uh, I can sell it, or you know,
3: mm.
2: or maybe we can sell the tagine. <laughs> no but you've got to have a regime in order to flog it and how many of us as artists you know have assets and have capital and all this palaver, you know I mean mm. how I did the shows in London was I mean not a business model you know it's absolutely ridiculous because I enjoy getting so many people involved in the shows that obviously you know in terms of financial viability that's out the window you know be, even before you started yeah yeah and that's how i've operated you know so that's why the last few months have been absolute murder but you know nothing i couldn't deal with i've, I've had to
3: mm. i've
2: had to just deal with it and I've, I've got good friends you know they're not going to see me starve
1: and, and it's, the, it's like you say, it's the, it's the uncertainty ahead as well because yeah. you kind of just live day-to-day day with just sort of getting by financially and, and what you get and what you have, what one has. And, but then, exactly. you know, for a couple of months' time. Like,
0: oh. Yeah. <laughs> and it, Yeah, exactly. It's like you kind of feel at the moment we can take things, can sort of see in the short term, but after even at the end of this year, it feels a bit like we're kind of entering an even more uncertain time. As performers, because well, I think anything up, that we stored up, up until not-
2: such time as a vaccine holds interview really life's going to be pretty up and down. Mm.
1: Yeah, and this sort of, the sort
2: of shadow of of a pandemic,
1: and also the sort of strange the i the notion that other people are the danger, and when we work in a medium which is about being with other people, that's mm. really. I'm really like getting my head around that. Like, hang on a minute. Like, it, it's the very the very nature of what we do being together with other people in a room, and that is that act is dangerous. Uh, but yeah. like, that's really strange because I've I've thought about that in a sort of political way, like oh, the mm. act of rebellion and like provocative performance and the act of gathering together being like and having these kind of provocative ideas shared in a space that being kind of dangerous in one way but the actual cool. fact of being just close to another person that you don't that's been in the world is is yeah. self-dangerous is a really strange emotional kind of thing for as a sure. person i think i wonder if you've thought i don't know if you've thought yeah about
2: yeah no it is i mean obviously you know you where well, there's an infection that, can do so much damage. Um, It's the last thing you want to do, isn't it, to people? Mm. Endanger life. Yeah. Mm. I mean, unless somebody dies laughing, which is okay, but (laughs) other than that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would be such a great review.
2: (laughs) But maybe a lot of people will be booking to go to Digitas. They're probably doing flights, probably full flights, leave it. You know, people are chartering jets. Probably queue it up. All packed. People jumping on the wings, you know, like a a train somewhere.
3: Somewhere over the rainbow, skies are blue. A
0: dream.
1: That's beautiful. That
0: was really gorgeous.
1: Thank you.
2: Uh, I mean, if people really have a lot of faith in anything at the moment, it's kind of misplaced because it might be finished by tea time. Um, you know, the internet and all the rest of it. I don't really like the internet and I'm very suspicious of it, you know. Um, I'm thinking of doing a painting and it's just a shadow at a door and then it'll just have the words I've come to harvest your data mm. And it might have a scythe, you know, but that's a harvesting tool isn't it?
0: Are you selling your paintings?
2: Well, I mean again, you see you're going into dodgy area there yes. uh, gorgeous bourgeois because I'm to. obviously they are up for sale But again, because I'm complex, and again, because of the feelings of unworthiness, it makes it very difficult for me to accept money for the paintings. Yeah. Um, I studied fine art. I was on a fine art degree, printmaking, and that was because I believed printmaking was the most democratic medium within the fine art rainbow. And I thought, if you are going to produce art, then it should be affordable to all, you know, it'd be more democratic. But now I find myself in a position doing one-off paintings. I know that people do like them, which is lovely. But again, you see, I'm hopeless at, at like getting it together to sell them. So they're just stacking. They're just stacking up, really.
1: It is hard to like that to place a monetary value on
2: absolutely
1: and it's absolutely not, Maurice. And it's, how do you do it it's so hard and it's and it's so it's so strange because in, in what we do it's something you have to do conti- constantly because every sh- every new show you do or every new painting you create whereas in other jobs that might that are kind of like once you've you've got your salary and then you sort of don't think about it I guess for the mm. rest of time until maybe there's some negotiation with contracts and things. But yeah. but it's not like every week
2: <laughs> No, not at all.
1: Right. How much are you going to charge for this or how much and I've Hello. always always been useless at it. We've I mean that's yeah, why just, just
2: setting a price you see again uh, there'll be other people who you know, you know, know your worth and all this sort of thing, you know. This painting is X amount of money, you know. Mm. Mm. That's how much it is. It's not open to debate. Um, I'm not like that, you know, that uh, uh, you can have it if you want it. Uh,
3: yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I'm missing people. You know, I think of all the fabulous people that I've met, you know, through performance, you know. Immediately I'm thinking of Travis Alabanza. Mm. Mm. Um, I'm thinking of Tarek and David in Brighton and yeah. Marlborough, you know. Um, all the performers, you know, I miss them.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it, I think it's one of the things I've really realised is that there is an incredible community and that actually... Son of a take Tutu. That for granted.
2: The idea that something as fabulous as Son of a Tutu, you, you know, there's a boa hanging on the back of a door somewhere. It just seems tragic. Mm. You know, we need to be animated. Yeah. yeah. As the Queen says, we need to be seen to be believed.
1: The Queen says that.
2: About herself. Ah. Oh. But that's why she wears those fabulous colours.
0: Oh, she really ah, does. She does Again, well, everyone, I-, I can definitely see you going for a sort of going through a sort of block colour block phase like the Queen has, I think of David Hoyle. I think what I'd
2: really like to do is work in collaboration with Prince Charles, um, doing something horticultural, Hmm. uh, creating a space for healing, a space that once you go in, when you come out different, um, I'm very interested in the idea that if you sit underneath an ancient yew tree for a sufficient amount of time, you will start to hallucinate. I'm very interested in these trees that give off these benevolent gases that can only help us, and we need all the help that we can get right now. And I'm no stranger to psychedelia. Mm. I might not remember much about it, but I know that I owe it something. Even though I've probably got no serotonin left. It was a small price to pay. Psychedelia is the answer to everything. That and education. We mm-hmm. must be offering children of the future a psychedelic education. Day one, when you go to school, you decide what you want to wear. Everything's in hampers. And you can change it on a daily basis. You learn how to make footwear, your own footwear. Imagine being five and learning how to make your own clothes and your own shoes. By the time you're 16, you're going to be pretty good at it, aren't you? And you're all going to have your own distinctive look made to the highest quality by yourself. And I think this is what might happen. People will realise that we're all artists. We're all creative. When people say to me, oh, I'm not an artist. I say, did you match your socks this morning? Yeah. Then I say, well, that was an aesthetic decision. So therefore you are an artist. You know, you didn't think to yourself, here's an opportunity to reference Rothko. So I shall wear a maroon sock. And then perhaps a cerise, and the two will sort of have some sort of relationship.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: do you really really what, mean? what we're doing at the moment is just keeping Barely alive, you know? Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: It's like being in cryogenic stasis. Yeah. And one remembers the fate of Davros, the inventor of the Daleks.
0: Actually, I see, I do. His don't.
2: invention, the Daleks, put him into cryogenic stasis. They turned on him okay and he was in cryogenic stasis fully conscious for 90 years who couldn't move and couldn't do anything i to leave that with you <laughs> <laughs> I, that. Really, davros,
3: <laughs> um, I really and then,
2: davros oh. i'm looking at myself on this screen i look like davros <laughs> so you take care bourgeois and marie so YouTube, you, David. you get back into your flying saucer now yeah I shall be looking up at the night sky tonight and if I see some fluorescent pink whizzing by, I'll know know it's We're sending you a message.
3: That's gorgeous.
2: (laughs) Keep it camp. (laughs) Lots of love.
3: Thanks
0: David, lots of love. And I love you all and you lovely listeners.
3: Bye. Bye.
0: That was David Hoyle, artist, theatre maker, and it turns out, Shirley Bassey, impersonator.
1: Thank you for listening. This is the last in the series, but we will be back in the autumn. If you have any suggestions of who you'd like us to chat to, then please let us know. Um, We may or may not listen to you, but at least it gives us all the illusion of
0: choice. And isn't that all anyone wants? It really is. I thank you again to all our guests, Justin Vivian Bond, Ursula Martinez, Travis Alabanza and David Hoyle. We've been George and Liv. Bourgeois and Maurice will be back on stages or online at some point, doing something. Probably, uh, we couldn't really say. You're gonna to have to ask them. We don't know. No.
1: All right
0: then. Bye. Bye. Cats and twitchers. With cats and twitchers.